So, are you really comfortable with this intro? What do you mean? It's funny, it's topical, it introduces the fact we have a new patron. Just because in this intro you blame the entire COVID-19 situation on them? So, the problem is... Well, it's not a conspiracy if it's just one person, is it? Oh, yeah. Mm. Whoops-a-daisy. Mm. So, uh, Rafa, if that is your real name... And I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. You're getting off lightly this week. The good doctor wanted to claim that you were entirely responsible for the pandemic, but it's not much of a conspiracy if you're acting alone. So we know you're up to something. We just don't know what. But I'm assuming it involves scuba diving. Ah, yes, the most conspiratorial version of diving. So conspiratorial. So whatever you're doing beneath the glaciers, Ruffa, we will find out. And if you're conspiring with the cephalopods, well, they might reconsider their veganism. Scud rings get in my tummy. Indeed. Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Addison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Addison. Sitting miles and miles away from me is Dr. M. Dentith as we responsibly socially distance ourselves in this, the second week of New Zealand's nationwide lockdown. It is the second week, right? It started last Thursday, so it must be... Like, tell, tell me it's been at least a week. The thing is, it feels like it's been a lot longer, and mm. that it feels like we last recorded a podcast about a month ago, and yesterday seemed like it was actually 3,000 years ago. So time is really a little bit slippery and slidey, mm. but yes, we are entering into the second week of lockdown. We have not yet flattened the curve on COVID-19. So today we had more diagnosed cases than we've had for several days. So mm. we're, we're, we're in a kind of peaking situation, but hopefully in a week's time, it will be in a kind of more trophy-like situation. Yes, it's, it's supposed to take about two weeks for us to see a difference because that means all the people who got infected before the lockdown began start to show and then hopefully if people aren't continuing to get infected we'll see it level off but yeah it won't it'll be another week i think before we start seeing some numbers and know whether we have to going to have to extend the lockdown or if maybe it can get relieved in a few places probably not auckland though given that we have the most people here we're likely to have the most infectees and indeed part of the discussion that's been going on with the government and the ministry of health is that when we see the flattening of the curve we might be looking at unlocking some of the regions first, which I'm assuming is a coded message from the Ministry of Health of Aucklanders, you're going to be in lockdown for a long time because there's a lot of you and you're in one location. Well, most likely. Uh, last I heard, there had been no cases like on the west coast of the South Island or something. There had been regions where it seemingly hasn't got yet, so if they can keep it that way, fair enough. Um, but anyway, enough, enough COVID-19. You must all be sick of hearing about it by now. Um, instead, uh, hello to our new pa pa patrons, I Oh, understand. yes. We've got, we've got one named patron who's elected for the we'll make fun of them at the beginning of the podcast here, and one unnamed patron who we shall call the Mysterious H, mm. because that is all the information you'll ever get about their name. Mm. And uh, being patrons, of course, they get access to our Discord 
chat server thing, which I oh, finally Josh, signed up to. Yes. You've actually joined was, the Discord yeah. and even interacted with some of our Discord patrons. How did you find it? Well, frankly, it seems exactly the same as Slack, which we use at work, which I'm not a fan of. So there you go. Well, now you're doubling your displeasure. Mm, mm, yes, no, it's all good. So yes, we're there. If you're a patron, uh, you should have received an email, I believe, uh, giving you the link. Um, if you'd like to be a patron, then just just be one, quite frankly. Uh, go to patreon.com and search for the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy and sign yourselves up. It only costs a dollar a month, mm. and oh, oh, the pleasure you get for your simple dollar. Mm. I mean... Probably, if you have money to spare, you should maybe be giving it to struggling artists um, who actually re rely on it to earn a living rather than people like us who rely on it to simply run a podcast. But still, I, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You can, you, can, you can be our patrons and we'd like that just fine. Indeed, we'll appreciate it all the more. Mm. So, um, with that admin out of the way, we should get into the main content of the episode. It's a bit of a weird one, I think, this week because it's... It's a topic we've talked about several times, but we've never actually done a full proper episode on it. So yes, it's one of those are. topics where we thought we had done an mm. episode, but actually we definitely talked out, about it. Yeah, it turns out we've talked around it, mm. but we've never talked about it. And that, of course, is the great, the late, the great Oklahoma City bombing. Mm. I don't know about late. Don't really know about great. It was large, I guess. I'll give you yeah, that. I, so, I, yeah, I, I thought I was going somewhere with that. And turned out you weren't. Turned out I wasn't. I was yeah. just sitting still the entire time. Right. Well, in situations like this, I find the best thing to do is play a chime uh, and then talk about something else. Or put a bit of awkward silence in and then play the chime. Yep. That's awkward. Yes, the Oklahoma City bombing. Oklahoma, where the wind comes rushing off the plains. Oklahoma, that, it's, it, it's the place to be. Right, that's the sum total of my knowledge of that musical, and I don't really think we should go there, because all we're going to be talking about, of course, uh, is, is the bombing of the um, Alfred P. Murrah building, uh, Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building, in Oklahoma City on the 19th of April, 1995. Now... 1995, I was uh, 19 years old. Um, I don't remember, like, I, 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 was, I was always aware that this thing had happened, but I don't remember much of it at the time. I don't know if that was just because I was a callous, ignorant teenager who wasn't paying attention to the news, or if it didn't make as big a ripple here in New Zealand as it otherwise might have. But um, nevertheless, before 9-11, before I think I'm right in saying that the Oklahoma City bombing was the, the worst terrorist attack in America, wasn't it? Certainly in terms of loss of life. Yes, so the Oklahoma City bombing kind of was the big conspiracy theory before 2001's 9-11 attacks. What makes the Oklahoma City bombing particularly interesting from the perspective of those of us who do the philosophy of conspiracy theory, is that, of course, it's the central example in Brian L. Keeley's of conspiracy theories that had, with retrospect, the misfortune of being published in 1999, mm. two years before 2001. I actually meant to say two years before 9-11. Of course, 1999 is two years before 2001. It better be, or something's gone horribly wrong, yes. Well, that being said, I mean, with the whole quarantine lockdown thing and time not working time properly, actually meaning. making the claim that 
an event occurred two years after the event occurred actually is a fairly novel and interesting statement to make, given mm. that we last did this, recorded this podcast what appears to be 36 years ago. Mm. So, yeah, anyway. so Brian's paper of conspiracy theories uses the Oklahoma City bombing as kind of an exemplar case of a conspiracy theory about an event where you have an official theory and a rival conspiracy theory that uses particular types of evidence to advance the you should believe this theory instead. And of course, to a very large extent, the Oklahoma City bombing has become a kind of non entity in the annals of conspiracy theory because of 9-11. Mm. But I think you're right with respect to those of us living in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I don't think the Oklahoma City bombing was a big story. The related event that was a big story was the siege at Waco, mm. which of course yeah, definitely remember two that. years to the day before mm. the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. And that's going to be important because that story was big news overseas. Strangely enough, a federal building in the US being bombed by a domestic terrorist wasn't actually big news at the time. I mean, I'm sure it must have made the news here, but not... Yes, but it wasn't the kind of rolling news Mm. that you would kind of expect it to be if it occurred now. It just goes to show we live in different times. We certainly do. So, I mean, uh, I guess start start with the details of the bombing itself and then get into the conspiracy theories. So it was um, nine o'clock in the morning, uh, April 19, 1995, as you say, uh, two years to the day after the, um, the government's attack on David Koresh's compound at Waco, which resulted in a lot of deaths. And then did Ruby, where did Ruby Ridge come in between the two? Was it before or after Waco? That is a good question. Mm, I was, do not recall. That was the other one. Anyway, that, those were the two instances of uh, government forces um, taking fairly violently uh, compounds owned by sort of your, your survivalisty, militiary right-winger types. And, of course, um, the federal institution which led the siege on Waco was the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, Mm. or the BATF. And it is kind of interesting that the US would have a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, because of course, in retrospect, they all do go together, but at the same time, it's kind of an an axis of evil related thing. And the BATF is going to be a fairly major player in the conspiracy theories we'll be talking about later on in this Mm. episode. So at any rate, just after nine o'clock um a a truck bomb went off uh, a a truck that had been uh full of basically drums of ammonium nitrate and other explosive compounds wired to fuses um exploded and destroyed uh the alpha pimara federal but i don't know if you've seen the photos it's a big building and this bomb like the 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 front third of the building is just gone it's just not there uh, the explosion was big enough that it, it damaged buildings for, I think, up to 16 blocks away or something. It was massive. Um, uh, you know, cars all around destroyed and so on. Um, and the final death toll was around 168, possibly up to 170, and getting close to 700 people injured, including, unfortunately, um, a couple of dozen children who were in the daycare centre in the building. Um, now, shortly there, shortly after that, a man called Timothy McVeigh was picked up on an unrelated matter. Um, he'd been 
his car, he was driving without license plates, I think. And when he was pulled over, the arresting officer noticed that there was a bulge in Timothy McVeigh's pocket, which indicated the existence of a firearm. McVeigh then admitted to carrying a firearm and also admitted to having other firearms and related things in the boot of his car, which then led him to being arrested and brought in for questioning. Mm. Now, as you can imagine, an event of this magnitude, the authorities were were on it straight away. Although initially they did blame ye bog standard Middle Eastern terrorists. Oh yes, yeah, well, I mean, and this is a thing we've seen before in, in the immediate aftermath of an event of an event like this. Sort of claims start going round, rumours turn into facts quite quickly when perhaps they shouldn't, and so on. But now um, I'm assuming the blaming of Middle Eastern terrorists, of course, relates to the first attempted attack on the World Trade Center in New York. Probably, I don't, I, I don't know the specific details. I think, I think at that stage, Middle Eastern terrorists were even then kind of the go-to. When uh, did bad True guys. Lies come out? Oh, I don't know exactly, but yeah, was the do you reckon that was the one that cemented the meme of the Middle Eastern terrorist? Yeah, also also starred Eliza Dushku in a very early mm. role, and That's apparently the there's a lot of scuttlebutt about how she was treated on set at the time. Yeah. Anyway, that that, that aside, um, so I don't. It took a while, but apparent, but eventually they um, connected Timothy McVeigh. And another man by the name of Terry Nichols. Uh, that- now, the reason why they connected Terry Nichols is that when McVeigh was arrested, he said his place of residence was Terry Nichols' brother's house. And that turns out to be important because it's suspected that where Nichols and McVeigh made the bomb was his brother's house. So when they searched the location, that was what then linked Terry Nichols back to Timothy McVeigh. Mm. Interestingly, if you ever saw the Michael Moore documentary Bowling for Columbine... A um, long time ago. long time ago, 99, I think it was, he he interviews Terry Nichols' brother, and the brother comes off as um, not, not entirely balanced. But anyway, um, so basically, uh, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols were found to have been behind this bombing. McVeigh and Nichols built the bomb themselves. McVeigh was the man who drove the truck, uh, parked it outside the building, lit the fuse, and then legged it in his getaway car. Um, Two other people, Michael and Laurie Fortier, were also arrested as sort of being accomplices. From what I gather, they knew about it and didn't do anything. They didn't didn't actually help them, but they knew about it. So I think Michael Fortier got 12 years for, I forget the exact name of the charge, but it was to do with not alerting the authorities when he should have, uh, whereas his wife, I assume, Laurie, or sister, actually, I don't know what the relationship was there. Um, she got immunity in exchange for her testimony. But um, So McVeigh and, and Nichols were both found guilty. Timothy McVeigh was sentenced to death uh, and was executed in 2001, apparently the first federal execution in 38 years at that time. Uh, the in the trial in Terry Nichols' trial, the juries were apparently deadlocked when it came to the sentencing, and he ended up getting uh, a life sentence um, and remains in maximum security prison today. So that um, that's kind of the official narrative, I think. But um, in um, 
in, in a turn that will become very familiar to anyone who's talked about the uh, the 9-11 conspiracy theories or pretty much any other ones, really, uh, there are plenty of challenges to the official narrative. Yeah, so to go back to Brian L. Keeley's work, which of course was my introduction to the conspiracy theories around the Oklahoma City bombing, in Of Conspiracy Theories, Brian uses the official theory of the Oklahoma City bombing to point out that conspiracy theorists about it, the people who claim that there's more to the story, tend to cite a whole bunch of errant data with respect to the official theory, which they feel isn't adequately explained by the verdict, which is to say there is data which is either unaccounted for by the official theory or data which is contrary or contradictory to the official theory. And as Brian points out, there's a whole bunch of oddities about the story which you do need to provide some kind of explanation for so for example mcveigh had apparently a whole bunch of fake ids but when he books himself into the motel the night before he commits the offense he actually uses his real name rather than an assumed identity he flees the scene of the crime in a car that doesn't have license plates, which is the kind of thing which means you know if you pass a cop car, you're going to be stopped. When the cops do stop him, he does absolutely nothing to resist arrest, despite the fact he has military training and a gun on him. And of course, when he is arrested, he gives as his address the property of James Nichols, Terry's brother, where, of course, the bombs were found to have been made in the first place. And this has led some conspiracy theorists about the Oklahoma City bombing to go, Timothy McVeigh acts in a very, very odd way, as if he assumed he was going to get away with it because the authorities knew exactly what he was doing, and McVeigh is surprised surprised when he gets arrested as opposed to actually tries to resist it what's going on mm. actually i'm surprised you um listening to you say that i thought you were going to finish with he was acting like he was supposed to be picked up implying that he was some sort of a patsy but um either way yeah there, there have been um you, you, you basic, your good old-fashioned false flag conspiracy theory claims about this um some people think have made the claim that um, actually the government was behind it. The Clinton administration either uh, knew about it in advance and didn't stop it, uh, knew about it in advance and had in fact approved it, or indeed perpetrated it. And those options for a false flag well, Josh, should Josh, sound fairly not, familiar to you. You're not talking about let it happen on purpose or mm. made it happen on purpose theory. The old Lee Hop and my hop. Yep, there's a there's a, a variety of um, theories around there. Um, and yeah, it's and again, it, as we see, um, I think it was uh, Sandy Hook was the one where I remember seeing it uh, most clearly. You, you get a whole, a whole lot of asking questions: Why did this happen? Why did this guy act that way? Isn't it suspicious that this thing happened? Which, um, I mean, they're not invalid questions, but in and of themselves, they're not much more than innuendo and don't really add up to a. A substantive challenge. Hey, to Josh, Josh, they're just asking questions, man. Mm. They're just asking questions, which is one of the most infuriating responses. I mean, yes, there are situations where you can just ask questions to try and elicit some kind of rival explanation. But if you are going to put forward, say, 
a conspiracy theory about an event. You want to base putting forward that conspiracy theory on more than just, I've got some questions. You want some evidence. Is there evidence, Joshua? Is there evidence? Well, there are things that people point to to suggest that there's more here than meets the eye. Um, Sorry, are you about to launch into Transformers? More I'm than meets not. the eyes. Although <coughs> me and my boys recently watched the old uh, 1986, I think, animated the movie, the Transformers movie. Do you remember that? That was massive. I, I do remember uh, being traumatized by the Transformers. I, d- I don't remember being traumatized by it, which is strange. Given and and watching it now as an adult, it's just the most blatant piece of marketing at children I've ever seen, where they actually kill off all the old toys so they can bring in all the new toys for you to buy. It's 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 horribly blatant. But including I remember, Rodimus Prime, the I, worst Prime of all time. He was a bit rubbish. Voiced by Judd Nelson. None of this is relevant to what we're talking about. You know what about. is relevant though? Mm-hmm. Ultra Magnus should have become the replacement to Optimus Prime. Now there was a true leader. He was voiced by Robert Stack. Um, anyway, you get things like, um, and, and again, this is going to sound very familiar if you've ever heard anyone talk about September 11 ever, um, reports that uh, th- th- there was more than one bomb, that uh, th- the idea that it was a single truck bomb can't be true, either because um, people, there were reports either from eyewitnesses or news agencies that there was more than one explosion, um, supposedly the explosion was big enough that it was picked up by seismographs at a, at a, a nearby, or not that nearby institution, but supposedly the, the seismographs showed more than one peak on their dials or readouts or switches or whatever it is seismographs have these days, which have led people to say, ah, look there, see, you know, you, you say it was just one guy with one one big bomb, but now we've got evidence there was more than one bomb, so something must be going on there. And uh, I believe at least one reply, well, one reply to that is um, it is, as we've seen with lots of other things, initial reports just get things wrong. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's, you know, massive uh, trauma, basically, emotional and, and, and otherwise. Um, people get the facts wrong in the, in, the, um, in the immediate aftermath, and then things get clarified later, which, yes, results in the news saying one thing one minute and then another thing later. Um, another thing people have said is that where, where there are multiple seismograph readings, one of them is the bomb going off, uh, and then the secondary one is actually the, the, just the collapse of the building, which also would have would have shaken the ground, though not to the extent of the initial explosion. Or, of course, a bomb going off and then other things in the building exploding as a result of a bomb going off and then a building collapsing. Mm. So I mean, or a really really good jazz band just playing well, at the same time, causing good vibrations. It'd have to be really good, but yes, I suppose. Or so, really yeah, bad. Um, that, that's that's all that I've heard when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, sort of the, the false flag side of conspiracy theories around this. The the multiple explosions. The what was up with McVeigh's behaviour. Are you aware of anything else? Well, so the big theory around the Oklahoma City bombing is why was the Oklahoma City bombing performed? Now, the usual story is it was a reply to what happened at Waco. So McVeigh and Nichols in particular were incensed by what happened at the Branch Dravidian compound and felt they needed to get some kind of revenge on the BATF for what they did, given the Alfred Murrah building was a BATF building. And so they plotted an attack upon it. 
Now, one of the theories goes, the BATF became very much aware that the attack was going to occur. But the BATF was also very much aware that they had lost a lot of kudos after their handling of the siege at Waco, because basically it was thought by the American public that they went in too hot and too violently, and people died in a fire that never needed to happen. And so the BATF went, we need some good press. And what's better than stopping a domestic terrorist in their tracks? So they basically set McVeigh and Nichols up in order to stop them from performing the attack. And due to some kind of administrative slip up, the attack occurs before the BATF thinks it's going to, and thus they don't have people in place to stop it. Now, of course, the obvious problem with this particular hypothesis is that you think it would be fairly obvious that the attack is going to be on the anniversary of Waco. So you'd think they'd be particularly aware that that's the day it's going to occur. But this theory is meant to explain why McVeigh acts so oddly when he's apprehended by the authorities. Because if he thought the authorities were in on it with him, then he should be able to flee the scene of a crime in an unmarked car, carrying weaponry, and think he's going to be waved through that would explain his very odd behaviour at that particular point in time. And I mean, I suppose <clears throat> the counter to that, of course, is that um, killing hundreds of people and bombing a building isn't really what you'd call a rational act, and that we shouldn't expect um, logical, rational behaviour, or, or what we would think of as logical, rational behaviour, because, of course, obviously this was um, premeditated. It takes some amount of skill to make a bomb of that kind. It was planned and so on, so it wasn't, you know, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't loopy craziness, but um, certainly not, uh, not an act that a normal person would countenance, so why would we expect someone who'd done that to then switch into perfectly uh, rational, sensible mode immediately afterwards. And of course, that kind of folk psychology is important for our analysis, because if we assume that criminals are masterminds thinking through everything they do, then you do have to confront the fact that why do we have prisons filled with so many failed criminals? Mm. Turns out that people often do perform actions without thinking through the consequences or thinking about how to best get away with them and then get surprised by the fact they get found out. Mm. Yes, I mean, as I think we've seen in plenty of other cases, there, there are a bunch of, a bunch of weird things um, about this, which, which individually, um, or which together, you know, you, you can pile them all up and say, oh, look, this is a serious challenge, and yet individually each one of them isn't really that strong, um, and so it's it's not actually valid to to you. Uh, what, what was it? Um, it was the Rendlesham one? I think we were talking about where a person said a whole lot of bad evidence doesn't add up to one piece of good evidence. But but there's more. There is more. Um, I think it's it's it time to talk about the third man, Orson Welles. No, John Doe, number two. You're a number two. Yeah. Poop. Um, I'm not sure why number two actually. Surely he'd just be John Doe number one. Oh, no, because 
after the oh, event Nichols occurred, John Doe number one. Well, yeah. So after the event occurred, and they John had they had discarded the Middle Eastern terrorist thing. There were descriptions of two white men in their twenties at the scene of the crime, and they were labelled John Doe number one and John Doe number two. I see. So McVeigh presumably then was John Doe number one. But yes, so so there are there were supposedly numerous reports that um, Timothy McVeigh had been seen with another man at the time planting the bombs, and this this other man, if indeed they existed, um, has never been identified. Um, there's there's the strange case of uh, the the there's a, there's an extra leg. Um, obviously, as you can imagine, in a massive bombing like this, uh, there were lots of body parts that needed to be identified. Um, so that so that victims could be identified and also so that their remains could be collected for for burial, um, but apparently there was there was one leg um, which they could not place to a victim, and so that has been jumped on as uh, well maybe that was this extra person we 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 thought there was there's someone around who we don't know where they are we've got a, found a body parts that we can't account for two and two together maybe this extra man um, stuck around too long got left behind by McVeigh to cover his tracks for whatever reason ended up getting killed in the explosion um, so that's one now McVeigh of course it should be said um, McVeigh said there was no third man and indeed he actually sort of uh, at one point. Um, where was it? I was I was on the morning of his execution. He had written a letter, and at one point in his letter, he says, uh, "For those diehard conspiracy theorists who will refuse to believe this, I turn the tables and say, show me where I needed anyone else: financing, logistics, specialized tech skills, brain power, strategy. Show me where I needed a dark, mysterious Mister X." So I mean, that was his, so his claim was that well, why there wasn't you know it was me and Terry Nichols. We did it. We we were able to do it. We didn't need another person. Why would there have been another person there? I mean, of course, you could write that off as him trying to protect his compatriot who managed to get away scot free, or you can write it off as someone who's going. Except that I did it. Mm. Please stop making conspiracy theories about me. It's the only thing I did. I at least want that credit. Um, but, but also, there's a there's another interesting sort of related case with a related conspiracy theory, which um, which I talked about all the way back in episode twenty one. Oh God, that was two thousand and fourteen. That, that was five years ago. That was Even very more. nearly. Yeah. That was four and a half years ago. Five and a half years ago. Yes, which is the case of Kenneth Michael Trentadu. Trentadu, Trentadu, I don't know who's American. I've only ever seen the name written down, so I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. But um, I think we had this conversation. We had this conversation last time, ago. I think, as well, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting case. Kenneth Michael Trentadu was picked up sometime after the Oklahoma City bombing. What we know for sure is that he was found dead in a prison cell, supposedly having hung himself with his bedsheets. Now, his family claims that when they picked him up, they found his body was covered in injuries, that it was, it was considerably more than simple than, than a strangulation or anything, that um, he, he'd clearly been, been seriously beaten. Um, and their claim was that he had been uh, either beaten up during his interrogation or possibly beaten so badly that he uh, committed suicide rather than be subjected to any more of it the next day. Uh, but certainly, their argument was that um, he'd he'd you know he, he said he hadn't just committed suicide; something had been done to him. 
Now that was a bit odd. Uh, the, the, the authorities obviously claimed nothing of the sort had happened, although they had done weird things like, as I recall, um, trying to get their permission to cremate his body immediately before anyone had picked it up, stuff like that. And people said, yeah, and, and people were a little bit unsure exactly why he'd been picked up in the first place. Um, he was apparently, he was a bit of a rough looking guy. He was big, he had long hair, he had a big tattoo on his arm. And some people have thought, have taken his description and said, that's interesting because um, there's this other guy called Richard Lee Guthrie Jr., who was known to Nichols and McVeigh, who was also a big man with long hair who had a distinctive tattoo on one arm. Um, and supposedly, um, the story goes that McVeigh was shown a picture of Kenneth Michael Trentadieu um, and said, you know, do you know this guy? Was he your accomplice? And he said, no, I don't know that guy, but I can see why you've picked him up. He looks just like Richard Lee Guthrie. Um, so the conspiracy theory goes that this man was picked up by possibly overzealous authorities, because obviously, as you can imagine, in the aftermath of an event like this, there's going to be a lot of pressure on these guys to get results as quickly as possible. Um, he'd been picked up um, in an attempt to get him to confess or to, to give up information. Um, he had been, been brutalized, basically, and then um, either had been uh, either they staged a suicide to cover it up or he actually committed suicide and they used that to cover up his treatment um all to hide the fact that they'd actually got the wrong man um and had had you know obviously broken the law by by brutalizing him in the first place um and needed to cover the whole thing up which i i i, I just, i've always found that actually to be quite an interesting conspiracy theory because it is the whole sort of it's, it's elements of cock-up and conspiracy. It's a conspiracy to cover up a cock-up, if the conspiracy theory, of course, is true. Well, yeah, so it does require the assumption that there's something strange about to bust into Ghostbusters. There's something strange mm. in your neighbourhood. Who going to call? Richard Guthrie. Lee Guthrie. Yes, it does actually require you to assume that there's there's some connection between the events. But, of course given the oddity of the event in question, and the, by the oddity I mean the weird behaviour of McVeigh on that particular day, you can see why people are going, all this other weird stuff that was going on at the same time, what was going on? Mm. Now, there, I mean, there's a little bit more to it, apparently. Um, supposedly there is uh, security camera footage from just from from the building from just before the bombing is apparently missing. Um, one one theory, you know, what one conspiracy theory is that this footage would have shown McVeigh with John Doe number two, and if it was shown that he indeed conspired with Richard Lee Guthrie Jr., that could be at least evidence for the people who think that Kenneth Michael Trentadue was wrongly picked up because of his resemblance to Mr. Guthrie. Um, and of course, other people. I mean, just just by itself, um, missing security camera footage is, of course, the stuff that makes any conspiracy theorist rub their hands with glee. Well, indeed. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I I guess from from this point in the future, it is interesting to look back and see all the things that are about. Oklahoma City bombing conspiracy theories echoed in 9-11 conspiracy theories um, and a whole bunch of other false flag ones. Um, and so yeah, it, is, it is interesting to think that um, had 9-11 not happened, this could still be the, uh, the example that we would be talking about today. Yes, it would be quite curious to know 
given that it actually took quite some time for the 9-11 truth movement to actually kick off. So it's five or six years after 9-11 before the, the first major 9-11 truth questions are being asked and the research agenda is being set. Now, given, given the, the short gap, basically, between the Oklahoma City bombing and the events of 9-11, it's possible to imagine that if 9-11 hadn't occurred, this would be the Oklahoma City bombing truther hypothesis that we'd mm. be looking at. But of course, 9-11, as you say, kind of swamps everything. And so the Oklahoma City bombing becomes an oddity of history. And it's kind of unfortunate it became an oddity of history because the Oklahoma City bombing is a case of a major domestic terrorist incident. And maybe if the US had focused on domestic terrorism, as opposed to international terrorism after 9-11, it wouldn't be in quite the disastrous state it is in now. Mm, possibly. And I suppose another factor, possibly another factor, is the whole internet angle. Um, 1995, the internet was around. When did I get... I got my first internet address in university. I don't, I, I don't think I would have been on the internet in 1995. I might have I might have fiddled with it, but um, I remember using a modem with Windows ninety five fairly soon after Windows ninety five's hmm. release. I also remember how much of a pain it was to bring things online back in those days. It was not a trivial task to go online at all, and yes, it was. It was a lot more difficult to find information online, mm. and there really weren't what you would call blogs or even GeoCity pages at that particular point no. in time. It was all new, and to find stuff, you had to kind of know where to look already, as opposed to use a search engine to find things you were interested in. So yes, quite possibly... That's the other reason why it never became a big story. It kind of occurs before it's possible for these theories to proliferate online. Mm -hmm. um, so there you have it. Um, it's an interesting case, uh, which is why we've talked about it in connection with other things in the past, but um, that really did deserve its own episode. Uh, and now it's got one. So I guess we're done for this week. We, of course, have a, a patron episode uh, to, get on, to get on with for all you patrons who are welcome to jump on the old Discord. I might even be there. I might, I might be able to rein in my curmudgeonly disgust with you you children and your Discords and your, you're probably streaming on Twitch as well, aren't you? And, and TikTok with, with the dance videos and, and, and what. I'm sorry, listeners. Josh is now doing his rail at clouds routine. Yeah, I'm, I'm 44 years old. I'm allowed to not be down with the kids anymore. That's okay. Uh, but anyway, as well as access to um, our Discord, uh, it's, it's not a server, is it? Our Discord chat. No, no, it is a server. Oh, it's a dedicated server. Okay, well, there we yeah. are, Discord server. Um, patrons get to hear this week's uh, patron episode where we have a follow-up to the, um, the whole Hobby Lobby antiquities, bits of papyrus, Iraqi artifacts thing. I think we should change the name of our podcast, the podcast's Guide to the Art World. No, I think that would be not well. We've, we've had uh, two bonus the, episodes the, out of the it. The podcaster's guide to forgery in the art world. Mm. Yeah, there might be something to it. Uh, but we have a bit of COVID-19 news because, of course, we do. 
It affects all COVID-19 news, isn't it? Except for the Hobby Lobby stuff. So there we go. These are the times we yeah. live in. Yeah, we've, I mean, we'll be talking about the Pizzagate guy. We'll be talking about what the Prime Ministry of Hungary is up to. We'll be talking about a train accident in LA. And we'll be talking about what's happening in Turkmenistan. So it's quite an interesting and eclectic mix of COVID-19 news. Hmm. But it largely is all COVID all the time, except for Hobby Lobby, uh, which, which uh, is good because it gives us an excuse to say Hobby Lobby a lot. Hobby Lobby. Hmm. So I think we're at the end of an episode. Um, so thank you, listeners, patron and otherwise. Um, we know times are a little bit weird and uncertain and so on. So it would be nice to think uh, that, that we're helping you occupy your time in captivity, assuming you are actually in a location where you're required to self-isolate. I know there are still plenty of places where that's still a little bit optional. Less like some parts of Brazil. Mm. Well, doesn't the president there still think it's all, it's all nonsense or something? Yes, and most of the local governors and mayors disagree, apart from one or two sympathizers who have opened up their particular cities to allow COVID-19 to spread to its heart's content. Hooray. Well, no, anyway. no, not, no, not at all. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so um, until next week, when hopefully uh, things will remain as they are, we will still be in lockdown, but maybe... A little more, little more optimistic about where things are heading. We'll just have to see. Or at least optimistic with our country. With our country, yes, yes. Um, so until then, I believe all that is left to say is goodbye. Toodly pip pip. You've been listening to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. M. R. X. Dentit which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. December was a night.